Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Bearded Things. I am one of your bearded hosts. My name is Chris, and I'm here with my buddy, Tyler. Tyler, how are you, sir? Uh, exhausted is the word that comes to mind. Uh, I think I mentioned last episode that I had inventory coming up and it was going to be working a lot, and I worked a lot. Yeah, we were talking about how like you hit a certain age and you just don't bounce back like you used to. Yeah. And I think we're we're very much both there. Yes. <laughs> very much so. Oh, man. So what are you going to be covering this week, sir? I am covering Project Blue Book to kind of go with our theme of spooky alien stuff. I like it. I like it. It reminds me, I just read this uh, article about this little girl who found her mom's passport. And uh, I think she was like seven. She found the passport and then she starts freaking out and crying. So the mom's like, what's going on with you? And so the mom starts filming this because it actually is kind of adorable. Mm -hmm. Her daughter was convinced that because of the passport, her mom was an alien. Interesting. So she's like, this is your alien passport from Men in Black. <laughs> and Makes sense. yeah, so the mom had to like break it down to her like, no, no, no. I just, I had to travel a lot and yeah. that's, that's what this is. She's like, yeah, that's from funny. Mars. She's like, no, no, no. From like <laughs> wherever they were from. So anyway, I just thought that was cute. What is it? Uh, girls are from Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> Boys are from Mars to get more candy bars. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, was yeah. Like, I can never remember how, how that one ended. Which actually ties in to our banter with the Beardsleys. Nice. So Tyler, what is banter with the Beardsleys? Banter with the Beardsleys is our fun, unscripted, off-the-cuff conversation between the two of us where we talk about anything and everything that you, the listener, want to hear, you want to talk about, you want to destroy friendships. That's kind of what we're here for. I think this week you have one from a listener, correct? I do. This one is a fun one. It comes from uh, one of our bearded friends, Kevin, up in NorCal. Hey, Kevin. And he asks, Pluto, is it a Ooh. real planet, a dwarf planet, or a lost moon out of orbit. First of all, it's a dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a whole thing about that because, like, Goofy was a dog. Yeah, but he Goofy could was talk. And, yeah, and he had a family. And then Pluto is just Mickey's dog. So somebody, somebody got screwed over there. But anyhow, please yeah. continue. Uh that is a very good question. Um, I know the sentimentality of being a millennial or whatever we are considered but someone who grew up in the late 80s early 90s and learning that there were nine planets in the solar system and then i think late 90s early 2000s there was the talk of i think it's series i forget i may be wrong on that but there was the moon out outside of pluto's orbit and then that's when they first coined like the dwarf planet thing and that's when pluto's like oh no we're not a planet anymore um so the sentimentality of me wants to say yes it's a planet but like the astronomy nerd and someone who spends a lot of time like taking pictures of the moon with my phone and looking through telescopes. Nerd. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I I have to go with the dwarf planet. Because um, I know, I think it's like, what is it? Like three of Pluto can fit inside of our, of our moon. So like, it's a really small, like celestial object. Um, I wouldn't, I know that the orbit is like super like long and all over the place. So like, I don't, I have a feeling it's 
still in some sort of crazy like i know it's like a super elliptical orbit and all that and like it goes way the hell out there um i don't know i feel like it's a dwarf planet like he's still got hope he's still like sort of part of the club and he can like see them like having their martinis in the background and he's like oh man and he turns to like the other asteroids but like we could have been there guys um but i don't i i think dwarf planet is what i'm gonna go with I'm yeah. I'm yeah I'm in agreement with you on that, and m- mostly by like process of elimination, right? Mm-hmm. So, is it a moon? Well, a moon is orbiting another body, right? That's no moon. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's Pluto's just chilling by himself with his own little mm-hmm. baby moons, right? He's yeah, exactly. Yeah, out there. So he's definitely not a moon. I call it a he. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. They them. I don't know. Pluto. Pluto yes. definitely has its own <laughs> moons, and Pluto is not orbiting another planet to the best of our knowledge. Yeah. Um, is it a full-blown planet, right? Like, I know there's different classes of planet depending on, like, uh, resources and, and mm-hmm. things like that. I have no idea which class it falls into. I, I just remember that there are classes, so I think that gets some sort of extra credit. <laughs> Um, it's definitely like lower level, but I mean, you got like Jupiter and Venus and like these gaseous things that Neptune, you know, mm-hmm. like they're barely planets by that because they, there's like, it's all gas. So, well, not Jupiter, Jupiter's like a beast, but <laughs> so it's definitely not a full blown planet is what I'm trying to get at. And I'm sure yeah. we're going to get a lot of comments on my lack of scientific knowledge <laughs> and I, I own it. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go Dwarf Planet as well, um, mainly because it's not a moon. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a moon. And he actually gave us a little bit of uh, cool little trivia that I-, I want to quote Kevin. Sure. He said, weird anecdote. Pluto was discovered in 1930, and in the late 1920s, H.P. Lovecraft wrote about a ninth planet he called Migo that hid alien gods. And uh, I think Pluto is just weird enough. And Lovecraft was a pretty strange guy. So I think yeah. he might have been onto something. I think everybody's looking at Mars for life. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a surprise little twist, a little M. Night Shalomon twist, where <laughs> all the life began on Pluto. So we'd be Plutonese, I guess. Oceans. Plutonians. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's just los angeles <laughs> uh so yeah i think I, i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with dwarf planet as well i like that i love that um neil degrasse tyson gets so much shit for that like he's like <laughs> everyone just thinks that he's the person that turned it like not into a planet but it's just like um there was that meme that went back a long time ago where it was like the hand-drawn cartoon of neil degrasse tyson like you're not a planet and then pluto yells back he's like you're not carl sagan we flip <laughs> each other off that's <laughs> my favorite <laughs> i love it uh but yeah I, I feel bad for neil degrasse tyson because he gets a lot of shit from that but um he's just the he's embraced piece. it uh, yeah exactly and like he's embraced it like i know i've seen videos like on instagram <laughs> and stuff where he's just like yeah like it's not a planet deal with it <laughs> so it's nice that he can have fun with that but totally. um, and be yeah. completely wrong because it's a dwarf planet yeah yeah it's a it's a yeah it's it's still you know there's people who are dwarves they're still people so it's still a planet in its own right oh, 
not going to touch that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's also not like an asteroid or meteor. And if it was, it'd be massive and a very bad day for Earth or wherever that thing's flying. Yeah, like it has some sort of orbit. It's it's like I said, it's a highly elliptical orbit at times, but it's still and it, takes, it has an it orbit. Like it's still going. I forget the uh, the uh, the year. Like uh, the the amount of time it takes to circle the sun, it's something insane. Oh yeah, it's like hundreds of Earth years. Yeah, is like one Plutonian Plutian year. Yeah, yeah. So it's a weird little planet, but it's it a is, planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. Thank yeah. you, Kevin. Absolutely. And if you have something you want us to talk about, it could be literally anything. We definitely have thoughts, feelings, and opinions about it. Uh, you can send it in and we'll tell you where and how you can do that a little bit later. Yeah. But first, it's time for a quick commercial break. Let's do it. And we're back. Woo. Uh, all right. So I think it's my turn, right? Yeah, uh, we did the banter. I went last week. It is your week, sir. All right, let's do this. Uh, okay, so like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be completing our pseudo-supernatural September, say that five times fast, with the story of the origin and some of the lore of the study of UFOs that the government conducted in the early 1950s and into the 1960s called Project Blue Book. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard of Project Blue Book, but I also want to point out that uh, you know, this story is the story of the real Project Blue Book, not the, you know, not, not like really doing a book report on the History Channel series by the same name of Project Blue Book that starred Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. So not going to be mentioning that anymore, I promise. To tell the whole story of Project Blue Book, which officially begins in 1952, I want to go back a little bit before that and tell the story of one of a couple of Project Blue Book's predecessors. Now, the earliest predecessor began, began in 1947 and was originally called Project Saucer. It was began as an effort to investigate the recent, at the time, sighting of flying saucers in the air and a certain disputed crash that may or may not have happened in the New Mexico desert. In 1948, the project was renamed Project Sign and was headed by Air Force General Nathan Farragut Twinning. The official goal of Project Sign was to collect information related to UFOs and distribute that information throughout the government. During the lifetime of Project Sign, the biggest investigation they ever conducted was the so-called, quote, Codwell investigation. And this investigation tracked down alleged flying saucers to an inventor named Jonathan Caldwell. And the purpose of this investigation was to determine if the rash of saucer sightings was man-made or something else. The Project Sign team traced the reports to Maryland where they found several wrecked versions of Codwell saucers. The ultimate conclusion from the team was that none of Codwell saucer prototypes could account for any of the sightings. Interestingly, the photos taken by the Project Sign team are still being used today as evidence of wrecked flying saucers, or they link to the Nazi project of developing flying saucers. Sadly for Project Sign, it was shut down in 1949 by Air Force Chief of Staff General Hoyt Vandenberg, claiming that there was no factual evidence and that the Project Sign team was gaining mythological status instead of being a scientific research team. Also, side note, for those that live here in the Southern California area or anyone who really keeps an eye on space launches, Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is up close here to Lompoc, California, is named after the man who shut down Project Sign. So we have him to blame for our lack of alien knowledge. 
And, but fortunately for many of the project sign members, when they got shut down, another project happily started up called Project Grudge. The main goal of Project Grudge was to do the opposite of Project Sign and investigate UFOs, but with the purpose of disputing the evidence of UFOs and alleviating some of the late 40s panic around UFO sightings. They went on to describe sightings as weather balloons, planets passing through our solar system, or the tried and true light refracting off of Venus used by our friendly government agents, agents in the documentary Men in Black. Project Grudge was very short-lived and by December of 1949 was officially shut down because the mere existence of an official Air Force team investigating the existence of UFOs was cause for concern for many Americans. The official report from Project Grudge concluded with the following. One, there is no evidence that objects reported upon are the result of an advanced scientific foreign development and therefore they constitute no direct threat to national security. And two, all evidence and analysis indicates that reports of unidentified flying objects are the results of A, misinterpretation of various conventional objects, B, a mild form of mass hysteria or war nerves, C, individuals who fabricate such reports to, per to perpetrate a ho hoax or to seek publicity, or D, psychopathological persons. The official report also re recommends that all Air Force personnel receive training and guidance in recognizing, quote, astronomical phenomena. So I give you a little bit of background because some of these things are going to come back. Try to remember some of the stuff we talked about. So now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of government investigations, shall we? In March 1952, the Air Force began an investigative team called Project Blue Book and was headed by Captain Edward Ruppelt. Those familiar with military rank structure will notice that the previous project was headed by generals, whereas this project is headed by a captain, which is four ranks below a general. On the surface, this kind of points maybe some less importance. I personally think that they're kind of had a, a defense in case like, you know, people start looking at this and scrutinizing and they say that, you know, this investigation is being run by a captain. It doesn't really hold as much weight. Again, that's just my theory. Uh, also of note, the name Project Blue Book got its name from the little blue composition books used at colleges and universities at the time to do their tests. The important aspect of Project Blue Book was that it combined goals from previous projects in that its two main goals were to primarily discover if, one, UFOs are a threat to national security, and secondly, they're going to scientifically analyze UFO-related data to discern the true nature of UFOs. One of the first things Captain Ruppelt did was coin the first usage of the term unidentified flying object. Before this, all the sightings were called flying saucers, flying discs, or some sort of play on flying shapes. Ruppelt felt that naming the UFOs lent some credibility and some bearing to the investigation since a UFO had a less confrontational stigma than a flying saucer. Ruppelt then went on to form a very scientific approach to investigating UFOs. Previously, people would make reports to the police or local authorities and were generally made fun of. Ruppelt made sure that all the reporting got to the Project Blue Book team in a timely manner and the team would use a very organized series of questions determining to recall and gather information gradually. The idea was kind of similar to the scientific method in that the questions would be recorded and then later revisited to test for retention and clarity over a series of interviews with those whose claim they saw something. This kind of tended to weed out those who were making reports for notoriety or just trying to get their quick 15 minutes of fame. Ruppelt also recognized the downfalls of previous projects and wanted to get rid of people who were too far either way on the belief spectrum. 
Rupolt stationed a Project Blue Book officer at every Air Force base in the country and instructed them to forward reports from local authorities to him regularly at the main base of operations, which was Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Under Rupelt's leadership, Project Blue Book investigated many claims of UFO sightings, including some pretty famous cases, including the Lubbock Lights incident. Also, in the summer of 1952, there were several radar sightings and reported visual sightings of strange objects around Washington, D.C. Coincidentally, this is called the 1952 Washington, D.C. incident. This is a pretty cool story in itself, and it deserves much more than an abridged footnote in this story. So I'm not going to get too deep into the story because I want to... You know, one of us is probably going to cover this in the future, so I don't want to ruin it. But this scare did cause the CIA to launch their own investigation. The investigation was conducted by a panel of scientists led by physicist Dr. Howard Percy Robertson. For some strange reason, the investigation became known as the Robertson Panel. The panel requested all the information collected by Project Blue Book and Captain Ruppelt felt that this was really their chance to prove some legitimacy to the project, so all the information was compiled and organized as best they could. The panel requested additional footage and investigation data from multiple incidents. Thinking this is something big was coming, Ruppelt and the team compiled six years worth of data spanning back to the origins of Project Sign. The Robert panel spent 12 hours reviewing all of the data, and after those 12 hours, they had their conclusion. They ultimately concluded that all evidence of UFO sightings were inconclusive and could be easily explained by digging deeper, but digging deeper was not worth the effort, so it wasn't going to happen. They also concluded that the sheer number of sightings was overwhelming intelligence agencies that could be using their resources for something more tangible and could actually affect the nation. The panel claimed that many sightings could and should be debunked by new production companies such as the Walt Disney Corporation. Finally, they suggested that civilian UFO groups should be closely monitored for their ability to greatly influence mass thinking. Now, obviously, this is a pretty significant blow for Rupel and the whole Project Blue Book team. In addition to the unfortunate Robertson panel conclusion, conclusion, the Air Force issued a regulation that ordered all base officials to only discuss UFO-related incidents if the other party has been informed and the case in question has been deemed to be solved. So you can only talk about UFOs if the other people know already know about it and the case is solved. They were also ordered to classify any incident that had not been solved. Later that same month, the Air Force Air Defense Command formed the 4,602nd Air Intelligence Squadron to investigate the, more, the most important UFO cases. The Air Force was very openly pulled these high-profile cases away from Project Blue Book and gave them to the Air Intelligence Squadron further demeaning the credibility of the project within the government and the Air Force. Not surprisingly, Captain Ruppelt requested reassignment in late 1953 and was granted his change of scenery. His team, which was never a set amount but estimated in the teens, was reduced to just two people. When Ruppelt left, he was replaced by a non-commissioned officer. By the end of 1953, a joint Army-Navy-Air Force regulation was passed, making it a crime for military personnel to discuss classified UFO reports with unauthorized personnel. In 1954, our friend General Twinning, who formerly was the head of Project Sign, was appointed the Air Force Chief of Staff. Many thought he was going to try to help bring Project Blue Book back to glory and get them back in action, but that was not to be the case. Twinning added to the joint regulation and added that a UFO was to hereby be defined as, quote, any airborne object which by performance, aerodynamic characteristics, or unusual features does not conform to any presently known aircraft or missile type 
or which cannot be positively identified as a familiar object. The new goal of investigating UFOs was to find out what technologies we could learn, not necessarily explain what they are. And the biggest goal, the biggest new goal of Project Blue Book was to reduce the number of unsolved UFO cases to as little as possible. In March of 1954, Project Blue Book had a new leader, and his name was Captain Charles Hardin, and he made sure to follow the direction the project was heading. According to Ruppelt, he described Hardin as being a pretty big skeptic. Rupert was quoted as saying that Hardin, quote, thinks that anyone who is interested in UFOs are crazy because UFOs bore him. Hardin was good at his job, though, as he reduced the number of unsolved cases from around 30% to less than 1%. Fast forward a couple of years, and in 1956, a new leader was appointed to Project Blue Book and made Hardin look like a gentle little man. The new leader was Captain George Gregory, and he took the task of debunking UFOs to a new level. He updated the regulation passed by the Joint Service and now also read unexplained UFO reports must be kept to a minimum. He did this by reclassifying the wording of how cases are filed. Possible explanations now became probable explanations, while a previously labeled probably explanation was now classified as certainty. He also made sure that if someone described kind of like say, oh, it's I like something, you know, I saw it looked like a helicopter. That means it is a helicopter now. But in 1958, we got some hope when Lieutenant Colonel, which is two ranks above Captain, Robert Friend, took over as leader of Project Blue Book. He tried to reverse the trend of denying all UFOs, and this attitude gained him some allies, most notably a scientific consultant for the project named Dr. Alan Hynek. Hynek was a proponent of the scientific investigation and encouraged Lieutenant Colonel Friend to reach out to the ATIC, which is the Air Technical Intelligence Center, which was the overseeing department for the intelligence squadron investigating the serious UFO incidents. This became delayed, however, in 1960 when NICAP, or the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, sued Project Blue Book, claiming they were covering up UFO sightings. NICAP has connections in Congress, and soon Congress and the CIA were investigating Project Blue Book. In response to the investigation and congressional hearings, the manpower was increased by adding civilian secretaries and several scientists. The budget was also increased significantly to allow for more investigation. This was, of course, pacifying gesture by the government because Project Blue Book was still not investigating many of the high-profile cases. Lieutenant Colonel Friend requested and was granted a transfer away from Project Blue Book. He said upon his leaving that he felt the project was now useless and should be disbanded. In 1963, the beginning of the end for Project Blue Book was brought on by a, the appointment of a new leader, Major Hector Quintanilla. Quintanilla returned to the job of debunking all claims of UFOs and further discredited those whose report UFO sightings. In the summer of 1965, several witnesses in Texas and Oklahoma claimed to have witnessed multicolored lights while a local Air Force base in Oklahoma City claimed to have tracked four UFOs in the area. Finally, a meteorologist reported tracking several odd flying objects and reported this all to local authorities. These incidents so close in distance and time gathered momentum in the media so Project Blue Book was called out to investigate. Under the direction of Quintanilla, the official conclusion was that witnesses observed Jupiter or some other bright star. Obviously, many people lost their collective shit and called BS on Project Blue Book. Robert Reiser, who was the director of the Oklahoma Science and Art Foundation Planetarium, politely disagreed, saying that, quote, this is as far from the truth as you can get. 
These stars and planets are on the opposite side of the Earth from Oklahoma City at the time. The Air Force must have had its star finder upside down. <laughs> the final proverbial nail in the coffin was the Project Blue Book's conclusion to what is called the Portage County UFO chase. During this incident, two police officers spotted a disc-shaped object and started to give chase. They estimated the altitude initially around 1,000 feet, but stated that it would bob up and down and sometimes got as low as 50 feet above the ground. The chase, they chased the object around the city and county lines, and as a result, several other agencies actually joined the case. Ultimately, the chase concluded around 80 miles away, and the incident was reported to authorities. Project Blue Book investigated and concluded that what the men saw was first a satellite, and then they saw Venus, and that's what they were chasing. Again, people were very upset at the conclusion, but also because the project only interviewed one police officer out of all those who chased the object. One of the police officers who was not interviewed was an Air Force gunner during the Korean War, and he kind of seemed like he was the perfect person to interview because he had flight experience and he'd be a good person to kind of put the two together, bridge that gap, but they refused to interview him. When the official report came out, there was more anger as the report stated that the officers had actually seen the moon on a few occasions. An Ohio congressman was harsh with criticism and stated that, quote, the Air Force has suffered a great loss of prestige in this community. Once people entrusted with the public welfare no longer think the people can handle the truth, then the people in return will no longer trust the government. In 1966, a congressional hearing was held after UFO sightings in Maryland were discussed as a training exercise by the Air Force despite any knowledge by nearby bases. It also served as a de facto hearing to determine what the project was really doing and if it needed to continue. The result of the hearing was that the committee was formed to investigate UFO research and Project Blue Book. The Condon Committee, as it was called, ultimately determined that there was, quote, nothing extraordinary about UFOs and that further research would not likely yield significant results. On December 17, 1969, Project Blue Book was officially closed. The final result of the nearly two-decade project was that UFO sightings were the result of, one, a mild form of mass hysteria, two, individuals who fabricate such reports to, per to perpetrate a hoax or seek publicity, three, psychopathological persons, or four, misidentification of various conventional objects. So if you go back to the conclusion of Project Blood, Grudge, you kind of have the same thing. After decades of research, the project dismissed sightings as mental issues or misinterpreting visual signs. Interestingly, such, since the closure of Project Blue Book, the United States Air Force has publicly stated that they were not going to reestablish UFO investigations other than in the normal course of national security. However, with the newly acquired information from the government, which we just recently talked about with the UFO releasing of the videos and information, and the Freedom of Information Act, we know that in our recent timeline from late 2007 to 2013, over $20 million has been allocated to a previously top secret UFO study called the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification. UFO investigator Howard Blum also re requested previously classified documents via the Freedom of Information Act and determined that the, U the Air Force has continued to document UFO sightings from the late 60s into the late 70s, most notably when they involved sightings near facilities that held nuclear weapons. At the end of this long Blue Book journey, the official press release claimed that, one, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force has ever was ever an indication of threat to our national security. Two, there was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified 
represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern science knowledge. And finally, three, there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified were extra extraterrestrial vehicles. Over the course of the project, Project Blue Book collected 12,618 reports, and almost all of them were classified as some sort of natural or aerial phenomena. Of the over 12,000 reports, 701 of them are still to this day classified as unknown, regardless of how much they were picked apart. All of the reports have been archived with the exception that the names and personal information have been redacted. You can read them for yourself if you want, if you can travel to Maxwell Air Force Base in the heart of Alabama. The base, according to Air Force Major David Shea, was chosen because, quote, it's accessible yet not too inviting. And that, my bearded friends, is the story of Project Blue Book. So uh, you're pretty much saying it was all swamp gas. As, uh, essentially, it's, you know, it's it's interesting to look in like kind of our perspective now looking back on that. And like this, these people were like on the the outside, like, oh yeah, we're going to investigate UFOs and like, we're going to tell you what they're not. And then like when they did find something, they're like, oh, we're going to pass it to these other people that like, they're a part of the intelligence community in the military. Like they need to look at it. Like we don't want you guys looking at it. And then even after all that, there's still 700 cases that are unexplained. Yeah. Um, the, the part I've always had a problem with is the oversimplification of their explanation. Yeah. Like I, I get it like Occam's razor, right? Which is, I, I forget the exact quote on that, but it pretty much the simplest answer is often the correct answer. Yeah. But when you, when you take that simplest answer and then you water that down even more, then it, you're, you're just full of crap, right? It, it like, I would be somewhat insulted if they came out today with, you know, the, the Tic Tac UFO video, if they're like, exactly, you're just looking at the reflection of Jupiter. Like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm, this is not the <laughs> reflection of Jupiter. Yeah, exactly. It's like they're, they, they, you know, there was a couple, you know, like, like, uh, Captain Ruppelt and, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Friend, like, they seemed like they generally wanted to try to help understand what this was. And, you know, they got shut down pretty quickly. Whereas, like, everyone else was like, nope, like, it's the same, you know, like, it's swamp gas. It's your, you saw Venus traveling through the sky at high speed. Like, you're just, you're insulting people's intelligence at that point. Like, yeah, I would be super pissed if they came in and tried to say that shit. Totally. So it's kind of exciting in a, in a lot of ways that the government is actually like, all right, yeah, it's yeah. real. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like you had the, you know, this pretty highly publicized group, you know, this Project Blue Book for almost two decades. Like we're going to investigate it. And like we found nothing. Right. And we fast forward 40 years and I'm like, oh, maybe there is more out there. Like <laughs> here's all the stuff that we had. Sorry, guys. JK. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, excellent job this week. If somebody wanted to write in and give us a topic for banter with the Beardsleys, perhaps even a story to cover, where and how can they do that? They can do that by contacting us at any of our social medias. Our Instagram is at Bearded Things. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash Bearded Things. We have this really cool Facebook friends group, which is called the Bearded Things Bearded Friends group. Uh, we have a lot of fun conversations. We were just debating the merits of hot dogs and <laughs> being inside people's earlier today. You should definitely join that group and figure out and see all the fun that we're having. 
Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, which is at Bearded Things Pod, or our YouTube, which is at Bearded Things. You can also email us if that's your you know preferred method of contact. You can contact us at contact us at beardedthings.com. You can also go to our website, which is beardedthings.com. On there is a contact us form. You can fill it out, send it to us, and it comes straight to us. Or you could just, you know, if you see us in person, come say hi. If you don't have a phone number, text us. Send us messages. We love talking to you guys. Please, like, we love the interactions. It makes us feel good about ourselves and, um, you know, kind of gives us some gratification for what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're still listening and you didn't check out just yet, <laughs> if you haven't already done so, if you could go to wherever you're streaming this and if it allows you to give reviews and comments, if you give us a five-star review and a little blurb about how much you love bearded things, that little bit of time will go a really long way for us. Yes, definitely. So that'll just about do it for us this week. We will talk to you guys later. later.